spirit of incarceration dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus y podcast about race and faith from the perspective of an Asian guy, a black girl, and a white guy, too. I'm Andrew. I'm Asian. I use he, him pronouns. My name's Bethany. I'm black and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Chris. I'm white and I use he, him pronouns. We'd like to start off our podcast by talking about stuff that we want to correct or wish we had mentioned from previous episodes. Yeah. Um,. This feels really important to talk to all of our listeners about. Um, it's pretty heavy. Um, I'm sorry, guys. I just. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to say on behalf of the Color Correction podcast that Danny Morsberger's views on pumpkin spice are that of her own. And they are not. I repeat, they are not a reflection. <laughs> Of this podcast. <laughs> That's my correction for That's the week. That's your correction. Beth, of course, famously a fan of, of of all things pumpkin spice. And it's my season. As soon as August as 1st As soon as hit, August rolls around, you start putting oh out pumpkin, pumpkin spice Hell yeah. posts and stuff. Hell huh? yeah. On Tuesday, August 24th, Starbucks gets wow. pumpkin spice, and that's when the season, the highest, holiest season begins. <laughs> Tuesday, August 24th, huh? Yeah. Wow. Are you going to have that party again this year? Yep. I'm thinking the last Saturday in September. Right. So right put it on. on your calendars, yep. guys. I'm there. I'm there. The high holy holiday of pumpkin spice. Right. Part of me wants to get a priest robe, but I feel like that's almost <laughs> too sacrilegious even for me. I don't think anyone would care. <laughs> I, think I feel great. like if my mom saw pictures of it on Instagram, she would be mad. So I don't you think had, I like, could go that far. Stuff? <laughs> yeah. It did like great. a pumpkin spice prayer. You totally do that. that would be amazing. So yeah, that's um, my correction. So I, I wanted to add uh, some t- technical stuff about SSI. So our last episode was our episode with Danny, which was really great. I thought I, I it was so good. It was really good, right? Yeah, I wasn't there, so um, definitively it was great. How do you how do you feel about how did you feel about it not being there, listening to the podcast? Um. Yeah, as like I just got to be a listener. That was mm-hmm. pretty great. And um I just I Danny changed Danny helped to change my mind about the um the online public meeting that mm-hmm. we're that we're hosting. Yeah, for sure. um, Absolutely. And really the way I I, I talk about it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um this is yeah. I, so I'm grateful for her mm-hmm. and, and for I what am she too. brought. Um, so I did want to mention, uh, it is technically my profession, but I, I wanted to emphasize that for people who are on SSI, people who are disabled and are receiving uh, SSI either because um, they worked too long ago or they don't have a work history, they only get $794 a month, mm-hmm. uh, which puts you under the federal poverty line of $12,000. Yeah, it's like a, a significantly yeah. under the poverty line. Basically, our government thinks that if you are disabled and poor, you should... Be less than impoverished? Re, re, yeah, like be lower less than, than that? poor, yeah. yeah. And it, and there are all these weird rules, for instance, asset limits, like if you go above $2,000... $2,000. Yeah, if you have $2,000 $2,000 is too much, and then they cut you off. Yep. Um. And of course, like if you're married, then both of you have to share a certain percentage of benefits. So it's actually better not to get married. It's mm-hmm. a marriage penalty. 
So yeah, our government is basically saying if you are disabled and poor, uh, you shouldn't have enough money for rent. You should mm-hmm. be homeless. You shouldn't get married. You can't have more than a certain amount of money. And you kind of can't even start like working either because mm-hmm. they cut you off for whatever amount you make. So yeah, the drop off if- is pretty pretty stark when the amount that you make starts uh, offsetting the amount that you would receive. Right, right. So yeah. you still end up being less than poor. That's crazy. Even yeah. when you're working and on SSI. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's it it's a it's a shitty system that doesn't respect human dignity and um one of biden's campaign promises was to at least raise the ssi limit to the poverty line which is still ridiculously low but would be uh an increase of like a a few hundred dollars per month for people which would be really meaningful so hopefully biden follows through on that you know we're still waiting for that yeah um so yeah I, i wanted to bring that up um Typically, our next section is speak up, but we don't have a letter. Yeah. Why don't we have letters, on? listeners? Yeah. You should feel shame. I, I originally didn't want to bring this up because <laughs> I thought it would make us sound pathetic. <laughs> like, no one wants to talk to us. <laughs> but meanwhile, I said all of our listeners are our friends. So yeah, that with that being true. said, you guys know us and you yeah. love us. We could start... Yeah, go ahead. What? And if what? <laughs> Sorry, I got so distracted because we can't talk over each other on <laughs> right. yeah, Zoom we have to and stuff. So as soon as I heard your voice, I was like, <laughs> uh-huh. um, what was I saying? So yeah, you guys are our friends. You know what we talk about. You know that we're Jesus following and also trying to be anti-racist. So write to us so we have a letter for the speak up section. Write to us at circlemobilizing at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. We could start reading iTunes reviews. Some podcasts do that. I would be into that actually. Yeah, yeah. Is There's that... one pot. There actually is a review I want to read, so maybe we could take all of that out. Ooh. And I'll just read this. Okay. Or leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let me find it. It's from June first. Okay. Hey. Um. So yeah, this is a review or a reflection from our uh, ratings and reviews. Here are Christians who believe that vengeance is God's, who don't just say they believe, but rather proactively love all people, even their enemies. Deuteron- <laughs> well, this is a real churchy person because they gave three scriptures. Oh, wow, three. <laughs> Deuteronomy, tw- Deuteronomy 12, 35, mm-hmm. Matthew 5, verses 42 through 45, and Romans 12, 18 through 20. Which we all know by heart, and oh, you should course. too. No so. reason to look them up, because <laughs> we all have those memorized, obviously. <laughs> I'm actually surprised you don't know those offhand, Andrew. I don't know if chapter verse. Okay. I'm not that churchy. Okay. I, Usually I you're pretty churchy. Yeah, I know. Wait, oh, that, and that's the end. Wait, they that's just, the they end just, of the review? They just yeah, that's it. A bunch of Bible verses? Whoa. <laughs> All right. Whoa, they're like, they All give right. you homework in the review. We can't make <laughs> fun of our reviewer because yeah, she listens. Right. <laughs> and and she'll never you. review any podcast again. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, um, that's right. Make them work. <laughs> so <laughs> sitting, here, sitting here silently this whole time is... Uh, is Tess Patino, our social media goddess, and yes. also guest of the show, um, who previously was on to talk about to talk about mixed race stuff. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and yeah, I guess back. this is technically her first time in the studio mm-hmm. because last time it was remote. That's right. Uh, Tess, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us how you identify and what your pronouns are. 
Sure, I'm Tess. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm multiracial. I'm white and Mexican-American. Awesome. Uh, So we have Tess here because Tess is a member of the Compassion Team we're part of, Circle Mobilizing Because Black Lives Matter, and something really cool happens. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to tell us what that was? So we had made a goal to raise $20,000, which... Some people in this room were very cynical about that number. <laughs> no <And> names, no names. <laughs> I don't want to call anyone out. Um, but we ended up raising like 32000 Yeah. Now, why do we, why I guess. Did we I don't raise... like saying raising. It sounds weird. Yeah. Why did we collect $32,000? Yeah, so we were, the thought was uh, we wanted to really push folks to consider redistribution of wealth and the wealth gap. And so we collected the racial wealth gra- yes, gap. Yes, the ra- yeah. racial wealth, wealth gap. Thanks. Um, so we wanted to collect this money in particular from white covenant members at our church and redistribute that out back to black covenant members as like a small first step towards considering redistribution and what that could look like. Yep. Jubilee Juneteenth wealth redistribution. That's what we called it. Mm-hmm. And um, when Tess is talking about people who were skeptical, I was among the people who were skeptical. It was me and you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and but you were real skeptical in episode skeptical. two, two I was years really ago. Skeptic. It's totally true. We, all listeners, go back to episode two. I think that's where we <laughs> wow. talked about right. it. So that is like you got Bible verses this week and you got past episodes. <laughs> you guys got lots of homework. Yo, this it is week. summer vacation for some people out in the world right now. <laughs> so you have plenty of time. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I was skeptical, and that's kind of what I, we wanted to do with this episode: yeah. revisit the subject of reparations in light of this successful experiment this successful project yeah that we just did as a team and i think it's even bigger than that because mm-hmm. at the time when we did that reparations episode it was 2019 we right. were young it was at least 20 years ago right. we didn't know that a pandemic <laughs> would hit and people uh-huh. <laughs> um and that yeah that the government would have to respond to people's extreme mm-hmm. poverty by giving us three checks yeah like we i got one twelve hundred 1400 600 What mm-hmm. is that? $3,200? That's what that is. F- from the government mm-hmm. last year. I never thought I would get like a dime of free money mm-hmm. from that's, the government, right? That's so, almost five months of SSI. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think our whole view of what the government is capable of when it comes to caring for, I don't think the government actually cares for communities, but like how can the government respond to poverty and wealth gaps and wealth redistribution? We see that it's possible now, right? Mm -hmm. And we did it within our church. So Mm -hmm. yeah, with those two instances, I think our view of reparations and racial wealth redistribution Mm -hmm. are totally different now. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Thinking back to that when we recorded that, which was episode two, I think it is. Yeah. yeah, episode two. Where we debuted Stay Black, Little Mermaid. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. That's so true. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I remember thinking that what the objective of that, of that podcast was to get people on board with the idea, just the idea of reparations. Mm-hmm. So any kind of like practical, like, what does it actually look like? How mm-hmm. is it distributed? Like, I wasn't, I thought that was like, that's got to be like, a few centuries away. <laughs> that was kind of my attitude. I didn't think it would happen in our lifetime, but, but I certainly thought it could happen for like mm-hmm. my, you know, 
imagined grandchildren of the future or something. But um, we found ourselves face-to-face with a lot of those practical questions when our team decided to take on this wealth redistribution project. I mean... Tess, what who came, what was the impetus for this? Who even came up? Because it wasn't me. I just saw you guys talking about it on the Slack, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I honestly don't remember who came up with it. It was me. It was it? Was it? Yeah. Did you kick this off? Remember, I got the All right, tell all us the story. people. <laughs> I was telling the story. When you <laughs> no, Beth, tell the story. <laughs> Remember what? I don't remember this at all. Remember white people were giving me money and you made me give it back. I didn't make you give it back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did I? I didn't make you give it back, did I? You were like, I don't know if, we should, if you should just be accepting this money. So I ended up giving it mm. to the bail fund. Oh, okay. Do you remember that in 2019 I when I posted that. that post? I didn't make you give it back. You asked me if it was right for you to keep it. It feels like you made me give it back. <laughs> and I was like... I was like, I think what I said was like, it's like, it's within your rights to keep it. But like, if you want to protect yourself from any like possibility of criticism, it might be, you might, it, you might be better off giving it to the bail fund or something. I think that was mm. it. Yeah. But it felt like mm, Andrew's telling me to do the right thing. <laughs> he made me give it back. So my interpretation uh-huh. of it now is that you made me give it back. But you're right. That was the, the angle. My legal mind is always anticipating the issues. W- issues like yeah. the worst person criticizing and like how am i gonna cover my ass and defend myself against that criticism so yeah. that's like where, that's where i went with that and also i'm being silly everybody knows my personality if i don't <laughs> want to do something i'm not gonna do it mm. um so i i was on your side too you mm. know what i mean like i asked you if it was right or i came to you about it because i felt uncomfortable with white people giving me money mm-hmm. like i i reposted that thing on facebook because i thought it was funny and this was like this was like over Juneteenth, twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was so it? Then, no, maybe it was twenty eighteen. Actually, when you first posted a thing saying Venmo your black friend fifty dollars. Yeah, I think it was actually two thousand eighteen. Mm, it was three okay. years ago. Okay. Mm. Yeah, and then I wrote an essay about it, and I mm-hmm. think the following year was when the podcast started, and we had the conversation mm-hmm. about it. But we just didn't think it was, like, possible. We didn't mm-hmm. think that we could really do it on a grand scale. But I had – so that's how we got the idea. I remember saying to our team afterwards, if white people just want to give me money, I wonder if we can make this a bigger thing. Mm. Do you remember that? Kind of, Do you yeah. guys remember that? I was like, maybe we could, like, have a scholarship for a school. Maybe we can buy people's groceries or something. But mm. like, Oh, yeah, I do yeah. remember that. If white people are at the point – I feel like – white people kind of move through their anti-racism in phases, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the first phases is like, oh, racism does exist. I live a different life from BIPOC folks. Then like the second phase is like applying it and stuff. And then like the third phase is like more nuanced complications of being able to see how whiteness Mm -hmm. in the world like – benefits folks Mm -hmm. and how like black blackness has historically and systemically um been disenfranchised right that's like i don't know i would say like graduate level white people anti-racism you know what i mean like that Mm -hmm. like being able to think of your wealth and how much like black labor free enslaved persons black Mm -hmm. labor has set up all of the foundational structures for economic wealth in this country and how like 
our, this country was one of the richest countries because of black people mm-hmm. and like our free labor. So like any white person's money now is a result of that, right? Yeah. Like that is just what it is. But getting white people, especially in America, where to be American is to work hard, right? That's like the American philosophy. If you work hard enough, you'll have success. Right. So for a white person to have to consider that they worked hard, but inevitably your money is not completely just because you worked hard. Mm -hmm. That feels un-American to white people. You know what I mean? Like they do not like that. So I didn't think we were going to, I didn't, I didn't think we were going to get above $5,000. So then why did we do this? See what happens. (laughs) Same thing. (laughs) Same reason we did turn up. Right. See what happens. Right. Well, why did we do this? Because I do feel like people took your idea and ran with it. I don't know, Tess. Why did you take the idea and run with it? Because I trust you. And I oh, said, if Bethany thought this was a good idea, I'm going to do it. What did it look like <laughs> when you started? Like, because I feel like uh, in a, like you were really responsible for a lot of like the, what the logistics of it looked like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you to think through like, how will white people give money? Um, it looked or a how lot... can we convince white people yeah. Right, yeah. that like this is a good idea? It looked like a lot of considering the questions that people are going to have and then asking other people what our answer should be Mm -hmm. when they ask those questions and also trying to make it so like every roadblock that a white person might encounter not necessarily has an answer but has like another question for them to consider Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. so so that might look like our google doc had frequently asked questions that our team members helped to write or we had all those resources that our team members gathered and that were right there and it was really intentional that all those things were in one place because you want to try to eliminate those barriers of well i don't know where to find this or why i don't know i'm not going to look for it Mm -hmm. and then it looked like putting it all over social media and all in the emails and that is the one place you went for all of your questions and Mm -hmm. at least in my experience with myself like a lot of people did use that resource Mm -hmm. and went and looked at the resources and looked at the questions and then talked about it and i think Mm -hmm. that was something we couldn't have planned but i think talking about it really made a difference for a Mm -hmm. lot of people who maybe weren't going to give or weren't going to give as much and then really i mean it's that aspect of being in community and realizing kind of what you're saying about like people starting to realize that the money they had they were allowed to keep in ways or earned in ways that maybe black folks in the united states couldn't keep Mm -hmm. or haven't been able to keep historically Mm -hmm. even today Mm -hmm. Tess, I also think you do a really good job of using just your skill set to like, I'm going to sound churchy too, but like serve God and serve our Circle of Hope community specifically. So I also would love to mention and have you talk more about the teaching that you and Wes started it with, Mm -hmm. right? Like a lot of this work, you you recognize that a lot of this work... um, involved educating white people. And I think you being an educator really, really helped this campaign, that that educational approach. Do you want to talk some more about the teaching? Yeah, so the teaching we did, um, which was put on by Circle Peacemakers, uh, was Wes and I, who Wes Shout out the, Rand, who, yeah, who Rand, leads Circle Peacemakers. Yeah, Rand. Rand coordinated all of us, and um, Wes has been on the podcast before, and Wes is also mixed race, so I feel like we connect a lot on things like that. But we... I don't know as as a history teacher, I that's just kind of how I think. And to me, it's really easy to see how I mean, even if we don't even go as far back as enslavement, but if we just go to 
uh, redlining in 1936 in Philadelphia in particular, it's just so clear to me how you go from 1936 to 2021. Like that's just (laughs) such an easy jump for me. Yeah. But realizing that that's not an easy jump for everyone. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it is like jumping off a skyscraper to try to like even understand Mm -hmm. how you how could something that far ago really still affect us today um but so i just started looking for resources that helped explain it better or even just if you haven't looked at a map of redlining of philadelphia in particular really you could probably do this with most cities but i know philadelphia in particular i show it to high school students and it takes them about three seconds to tell me what's going on um and it still reflects much of the city today and much of the trends we see today so i think that with this teaching um we kind of took that frame of I don't even want to say like prove mm-hmm. the racial wealth gap that exists, but kind of illuminate the things that are already mm-hmm. there. Right. Um, because I don't think you're really going to convince people of much. It's more about how do you show from here to there mm. more clearly? Yeah. And how do you then take the next step of, well, how did you, how do you contribute this, contribute to this and not even realize you're contributing if you're a white person in particular? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How do white people say. contribute to the racial wealth yeah, gap was, without was, realizing it, do you think? Too. Yeah, so one way is generational wealth. So we didn't get too much into that. We did a little bit in, I think, our uh, teaching, but we didn't go heavily into it because I think that it's really easy for white folks to say, like, well, I didn't grow up rich or I grew up more poor. And that might be true, but even, I don't remember which bank it was, so I'm not going to try to make it up, but Relatively recently, a bank got in trouble for giving higher loans to black folks or uh, Hispanic folks at a higher interest rate, at a higher interest rate than for white folks. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it was Wells Fargo. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say, I was pretty sure it was Wells Fargo, (laughs) but I didn't want to lie to y'all. They're not going to sponsor us. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It was Wells Fargo. Um, And that happened recently. Yeah. 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 Wow. Relatively recently, like like, too recently. Um, It happened in like. Uh, it, it like 2013, mm-hmm. less than 10 oh, years ago. Wow, yeah. really okay. recently that it was like, ooh. Um, and so in that way, automatically when you think about housing, you have a better chance of getting a loan or at least a loan for a lower interest rate, mm-hmm. and therefore you get to keep more of your money, right? Mm-hmm. Generally, um, I'm gonna mess up some of the statistics, so don't quote me exactly, but it's you know prior to the Civil War, so when Black folks were literally not even considered people. Uh, they Black folks owned, I think it's like 0.5% of wealth and like land in the entire United States. And today, that is wildly raised to about 1%. Wow. So that's that is, it. That's it. Wow. Of all, like, I can't remember if it's exactly wealth or land ownership, but either way, it's not a good number mm-hmm. for when we say everyone has equal access. Well, clearly not. And things that that right. looks like is, uh, you know, it's really hard to get a home loan if you don't have a cosigner or you don't have a really high paying job, which you won't have if you don't have education, which you won't mm-hmm. have if you don't know how to do things like the FAFSA or, or if you just, just live in Philly and you exactly. are living in a redlined mm-hmm. district and you right. have to go to a public school that's poor and right. doesn't exactly. have resources. Mm-hmm. And then there's right? this issue. It keeps it going. There's a cycle of this issue of, well, banks won't give you a loan because they don't think you can afford this $1,200 mortgage. So instead you're paying $2,000 in rent every month. Right. Right. So it's like, well, how can you save money when saving money would be owning Buying a, a building, right. yeah. um, owning a house, owning things like a car or um, 
other things that are considered asset your assets your debt to income ratio uh, which is just like a lot harder if mm-hmm. you don't have those systems and mm. then add on top um, there's a lot of data that shows obviously that generally black and brown neighborhoods are going to be higher policed which even if you don't go to jail you're probably going to get a fine and so they've shown that black and brown folks are literally paying more than their fair share in like fines and fees Mm -hmm. back to the government Mm -hmm. back to the cities where white folks don't because their neighborhoods are just not as police because of redlining so even just not being allowed to keep your money and people always love to say the argument well then don't commit a crime or don't do this but it's like okay but you didn't get a ticket for jaywalking in Mount Airy, but suddenly mm-hmm. you did in Germantown, like mm-hmm. neighborhoods that are very close to each other, but right. one is more highly policed. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have more fines. Again, just on, we don't even go much farther into jail time and things like that. That just, right. your mm-hmm. white folks generally are going to be allowed to keep way more of their money mm-hmm. than black and brown folks mm-hmm. in particular. Mm-hmm. I think that's the particular uh, sinisterness or... Yeah, sinister essence or something of deracialized America or like deracialized language in America mm-hmm. because racism is still just as prominent. It's right. just not named. And therefore, because it's not explicitly like, hey, we're going to ha- charge a higher interest rate on black folks, mm-hmm. it still happens and it almost happens like more intensely or more frequently because it doesn't explicitly say it. Right. And that mm-hmm. makes it so. Um, yeah, I feel like so much more intense. It does. I mean, yeah, sinister intense is the is right really word. Not the word I want to use. The um, that was a very high school word of me. It's so intense. <laughs> well, it is intense, yeah. but it's also uh, it, it is also we're touching on something that is actually uh, we, we're touching on critical legal studies. <laughs> um, is it critical? Anything like critical race theory? Actually, yes. Critical race theory comes from critical legal studies. Interesting. A, okay. It is a it's a um, a school of jurisprudence, a, a way of thinking about the law that looks at how, even though things are phrased equitably, even though the, there's nothing explicitly racist about the language, the outcome of the law can have racist effects or mm-hmm. unintended effects, mm-hmm. and that's critical race theory. How these? How I the, think they're intended, but yeah. Well, undoubtedly. They are sometimes mm-hmm. just because uh, just because the, for instance, you don't have um, racial covenants in on property doesn't mean you can't have other coded language or social behaviors that keep uh, non-white people out of certain neighborhoods, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which are very intentional. Mm-hmm. So, and I uh, think that happened in Chestnut Hill until like the sixties or something, fifties mm-hmm. or sixties. I, but Tess, what you're talking about in terms of how the team presented this information the just the the historical evidence of injustice um and then just kind of was like well here's the injustice now what are you gonna do about it i think is a really interesting approach and i think it speaks to how oh like how low of an opinion i have of people (laughs) because i figured (laughs) i figured what would happen is that people would see this deep historical injustice and be like Eh, it's sad that's sad that sucks or say then we're gonna write to our senators right or something like like a bigger thing that you don't actually ever see the end results right um yeah or just you know feel bad about it or Mm -hmm. say like we should form a committee to do to talk about this more meetings about it yeah we love a good meeting (laughs) Uh yeah so like i was with you beth i was like 
five thousand bucks max (laughs) five thousand bucks max and then we'll have a conversation yeah so that's actually why i wanted to do it Uh was i wanted to do something that made people uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and made people think about their whiteness in a new way and gives us something to talk about it gave us something to talk about i expected that's Part of the reason why initially I was like, I'm not going to take any of this money because I thought that I would take like $250 from somebody who mm-hmm. knew it, who who needed it or something. Mm-hmm. I I am shocked that we got to $32,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like well, people really take this seriously. And I think a huge framing that we were relatively intentional about, at least I, I thought I was intentional about, and I think others were, of reminding people at our church in particular, of course, anyone could give. But we really wanted to push our white covenant members who have agreed to this covenant, Mm -hmm. that we have agreed to be in community in a radical and unique way. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And really kind of pushing folks to really consider this covenant they agreed to. And I think that that does add more than just I feel bad. It's, well, I know that my other covenant members who are black are being really hurt by this and hurt by things that are not in really any of our control. And yet we play a role in and right. probably do have more control than you think. Um, but so I think that that was a really important framing of remember your covenant and remember what that means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that's so like, that's why we framed it as redistribution. Mm-hmm. Like, so that like, it sort of set this framework of like internal white people redistributing mm-hmm. to the, to the black people in the church. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. So there, there's like, there's kind of a hedge that's that's built around this and says who this is, like who this is for and mm-hmm. who needs to do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What I liked about that framing is that that I kind of came around to it when I when I saw it through that framing because I, I think that what stops me a lot of the times is, I I think my attitude in episode two was definitely like reparations isn't real unless the government makes it real. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Say more about that. Because, like, I was thinking about how the harm that has been done to black people in terms of slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, redlining is so explicitly, like, done by government institutions Mm -hmm. and the way our society is set up Mm -hmm. that any kind of voluntary voluntary thing would just come across as, like, charity. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, the only way to make it real is the government and because of that like i was like unlikely that it's going to happen because of the scale of it Mm -hmm. i was like thinking about like japanese internment like it came like the reparations came from the government Mm -hmm. even though like individual white people who took those japanese people's land like benefited Mm -hmm. but you don't see people going after them for reparations so that's what i was thinking like it has to come from the federal government and because that that's how i was thinking about it i think i was limited in what i could imagine us doing Mm -hmm. But, like, when you guys started framing it as, like, it's a thing that our church is doing. And also, we try, like, we we talk a big game about radical alternative economic expressions every single week. We do. We do. We, we're, yeah. like, the giving is a way to express this alternative way of living, mm-hmm. which is just, sometimes I'm just like, all right, this is just a fancy way of passing the plate. We all know what this we is. We don't pass the we plate, churchy people. Yeah. There's no we know plate. what, uh-huh. what plate passing is. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's just a rebranded. But, like, we use that language of, like, wealth redistribution, alternative economic things. Like, this isn't the new way of economics, but it's a way for us to live into it in a small way. Yeah. I also think this would be an important, like, mm-hmm. time to talk about why we called it wealth redistribution, if mm-hmm. you could do that, test, and why it's not reparations. I also want to give a piece of advice on plate passing 
if you are somebody that doesn't have any money and you want to and you get like a plate at your church, pluck it. It sounds like you drop change in. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice. Nice. So Life if anybody's up. out there and you don't have anything, just pluck that plate at church. Yeah. I don't You're know. Like, like can't you just take it if you don't have any money? You should. Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. All right. Okay, go ahead, Tess. Yeah. What's the um, difference between yeah. the government giving us reparations and the way our community redistributed our communal wealth? Yeah, so for one, I wanted to say something to what Andrew was saying is that in our Slack, everyone kept wanting to put the word radical in our language, and mm-hmm. I was really did not mm-hmm. want it. You weren't into I it, was, yeah. I did not like the word radical, mostly because I think of kind of what Andrew is saying is like, we do this every week. This mm. is it is radical compared to maybe I don't know, the government. But I don't like this is this is what we do here. Mm. And I kind of really wanted us to push that frame of like no, this is kind of the expectation. Like, like this radical. is the bar. It's yeah. a very low bar and this mm. is our bar. It should not be radical to you to give money that is not yours anyways to people who it was taken from. That should mm. not be radical. And mm-hmm. so I was really against the word radical. But that being said, I think that that brings us to so why do we say wealth distribution rather than reparations? And I think part of it was reparations has this connotation, at least when you think of it like historically or even uh, sociologically. I don't even think that's the right ology. But reparations generally is money plus fixing the issue, mm-hmm. right? It's generally you you give money back and then also start to dismantle those systems. Not mm-hmm. always, but that's what it's supposed to be at least. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't what we were doing. In some ways, yes, we were educating people in our church and I, I really do think a lot of people stepped up and really wanted to take the time to also educate themselves but this wasn't reparations this wasn't the government coming back and saying we're so sorry um i'm still cynical that we will ever do that but i think with our church reparations versus redistribution redistribution has that connotation of again like you are giving the money back to who it's original owner was in the first place like Mm. this is actually not yours Mm -hmm. this is someone else's Mm -hmm. um and i think you know we talk about money a lot in our church and and i don't hear this a lot but i think there is this like biblical understanding that your money is god's anyway so like Mm -hmm. give it back out like Mm -hmm. why do you you like i don't want anyone to starve i don't want anyone to not have a house and also you've been blessed in a certain way and other people have been taken from so i think that's where this think there's more to say on that but i th- why i think we chose wealth redistribution rather than reparations is because what we're, we're doing isn't reparations mm-hmm. we're not even really scratching the surface on fixing the wrongs of 400 years ago that started in 1619 like we're mm-hmm. not right we're not even close to that but i think we are and ironically i think even though we said redistribution i think there was a lot more hard work that is supposed to go into reparations. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people did, maybe not change their mind completely, but I think kind of went up a level on what mm-hmm. they thought about their yeah. money and the injustices in our city in particular in Philadelphia and how these injustices because of race still are alive and well in 2021, even if they wear a different coat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My cell definitely had a lot of good conversations about... Um, that about the, the idea of reparations and what it means to repair. Um, the helpful guide that 
Wes compiled. Yeah, that he did a great job compiling. I think Andrew, you you and I's names are on it, but I think we it was we, all Wes. We <laughs> <laughs> I think we like read it over. And we're like, yeah. looks good to us. Like, and I think put, Wes put, put our, our names, names on it. Wes <laughs> um, has cites the um, the way that the UN um, uh, outlines reparation, and it's not just money. It, it is dismantling systems to make sure mm-hmm. the injustice isn't repaired. It is repeated. Yeah, well, yeah, the, yeah. To make sure the injustice isn't repeated, <laughs> it talks about um, rehabilitation in different ways, um, acknowledgement uh, that the harm was done in the first place. These different things that make for a more just, um, more just outcome, more mm-hmm. just way of of addressing more just a harm. Structure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think the interesting conversations that we had in our cell was were about how, like, what does it look like for repair to um, include money, but not just be about money. Mm. You know, what does it look like? What is, and it basically came down to like, what what do, what does a real apology look like? What does sincere mm-hmm. contrition look like? And what does forgiveness look like in like an interpersonal context and also in a broader social context? Well, America has to like fucking confess. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like America keeps acting like slavery was like a weird trend. And like, and it don't happened wanna... for three years, and right. then we just forgot about it. Right. Yeah, it didn't like really I feel like at all. I feel like America acts like slavery is like um, a mullet or something. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, that was a weird time. Don't want to talk about it too much, you know. <laughs> Instead of just saying like, yo, like slavery was a heinous thing, and mm-hmm. we've continued to do heinous things, and like we are so sorry, and this is how we're going to repair the harm. Right. Like America, you, I firmly believe and I've talked about this before on the podcast Mm -hmm. but I do not feel like you can turn away from any sin without confessing it like Mm -hmm. you cannot move you can't move to um, repair if you haven't confessed yeah Mm -hmm. so I think yeah I can't see America repairing it until they confess and for our part I'm glad we're not waiting for the government to do something I think this is like a good way to like begin that process Mm -hmm. you know like right the u.s government is they're they're like out Mm -hmm. but like let's try and do something that we can actually do and maybe start as as the church setting Mm -hmm. a precedent for what that could actually be on a a larger level that'd be amazing Mm -hmm. which we do all the time with our other compassion teams right right? we're not waiting on the government to give us a go-ahead that's kind of not a thing (laughs) (laughs) right yeah so Beth, you and I had expectations about the outcome of this, <laughs> which we, and we were like surprised. Yeah, because um, we're also BIPOC folks. So right. <laughs> our our relationships with uh, white people are sometimes fraught. Yeah, I mean, has this changed how you think about the church at all? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, the church is a lot farther than what I originally assessed, uh-huh. um, and that really excites me. Mm. And it also excites me. I think I've talked about this on the podcast, too, where Rand wrote that blog post about, like, how the church can be radical again and Mm -hmm. how the church can look at harms that systems have caused um, and work to repair those harms. And I think that's what made me bring up the wealth redistribution or reparations campaign again was after I read that blog post. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah, we can be co-conspirators with God. Mm -hmm. Um, and seeing that I have a church full of people that, oh, I feel like I'm going to tear up, but my Zoloft keeps me from actually tearing. <laughs> if this was last year, I'd be crying. Um, 
But yeah, that like really touches me mm. that like there are people that even the thought that like a lot of people have been like, well, yeah, you said that it was a good idea, Bethany. So I did it. Mm-hmm. Like even the fact that people trust me like that and mm-hmm. love me that much to trust that my experience is true as a black woman. Nobody's like really questioning me um, and to trust that what I say is like. I don't know, anointed or something. I don't know why I keep using churchy. Listen, I listened to Fred Hammond this morning. That's what happened. That's why I'm using all these churchy words. But like people trust, you've said this a couple of times, Tess, like people trust my prophetic voice. They trust my prophetic gift and trust Mm -hmm. the way I'm trying to push people to follow Jesus in these Mm -hmm. weird, uncomfortable ways. Mm -hmm. That really, yeah, that really almost makes me want to cry. So definitely yeah. makes me feel um, even more affection for our church community. Yeah, I hear that for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. And like when we talk about reparations from like a scriptural perspective, like we can talk about how like I mean we called it the Jubilee Juneteenth wealth redistribution. Uh, at the time, like I thought it was, I I wanted to tie it in theologically, so that which is why, like I suggested calling it a jubilee because I <laughs> wanted, I was like anticipating that. like the, the the criticism that like the theological criticism, so I mm-hmm. wanted to be like tie it explicitly to yeah, some. No, there is a, there is a biblical principle, princi- like, right, pre- which is specifically about freedom for slaves mm-hmm. and uh, forgiveness of debts and mm-hmm. like the reconciliation yeah. of debts and jubilee, um, and of course like. In in like the law of Moses, there are rules about how an enslaved person has to be sent away, has to be freed with compensation. Um, and there is also we probably talked about this in episode two. The Israelites were were uh, left slavery in Egypt, and the Egyptians gave them a bunch of stuff before mm-hmm. they left. And also, um, this we keep coming back to the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, which I think in the in light you know of, what I call him. You know I don't call him Zacchaeus the tax collector. Uh-huh. What do you call him? Zacchaeus with his dick out. Zacchaeus with his dick out. <laughs> nice. That's the Beth version. Beth international version. You put explicit on this, uh-huh. right? The B-I-V. Yes. <laughs> um, which, you know, thinking just thinking back to what you, your approach to, to educating people tests, I feel like, you know, Zacchaeus was confronted with the injustice mm. by the person of Jesus, mm. and he responded out of his heart. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like there's an echo of that here, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. People were just confronted. It's like Jesus visited the house and was mm-hmm. like, what are you going to do about this? Mm-hmm. But in a broader sense, like, I just, I keep, I, I'm thinking about what you you were just talking about, Beth, in terms of, like, being co-conspirators with God, mm-hmm. um, being part of God remaking the world and seeing echoes of the fact that one day like every injustice will be addressed mm-hmm. every everything will be repaired mm-hmm. right um, every tear will be wept away and the things that we do now as a, are a kind of echo are a kind of down payment are a kind of a hint of, mm-hmm. of that the fullness of God's yeah, presence that, that, that are going that we're going to have in full then mm-hmm. you know yeah. but we know we will have it in full then mm-hmm. because of because of the way the spirit is moving among us now mm-hmm. and the spirit is moving in our church there's like things happening all uh-huh. over the place it's exciting yeah i jesus 
I'm excited. I feel like I'm starting to sound more and more like my mom in my 30s. Uh-huh. But like, yeah, like Jesus, talking about Jesus excites me now. Like yeah. Jesus really can change people's hearts. And I think we're seeing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I'm yeah. like, I'm repenting of my cynicism <laughs> a bit, you know, I'm, yeah. Um, and I think there were, from what I heard from other folks like there were hard conversations had in cells so i don't yeah. want to pretend totally. like every conversation was like and then we yeah. all Our, like ours was figured not, it out ours, right. was, ours was good but could have been better yeah and some were hard yeah. and some people some people weren't really ready yeah. yeah and i think mm. that i think conflict is good like we can be so conflict adverse but i think it is good because that means you're considering it and you're thinking about it mm-hmm. and and you're stirred by it. Because yeah. I think if you get angry. I think I would have been like where Andrew was when you guys first recorded. I was like, well, it's never going to happen. And mm-hmm. like even I wasn't as cynical as like $5,000. But I had already like <laughs> when I All was right. thinking of like our social media plan, because there's a very strict social media plan. I was like <laughs> considering when I had to post. So that way I was anticipating us being at like fifteen to seventeen thousand the day before and figuring out and okay and I was gonna be away in Puerto Rico. So I was like trying to figure out okay, <laughs> how am I gonna make sure that I post strategically so we can get that last push. Meanwhile, I got to just relax on a beach because I don't have to post anything mm-hmm. that yeah, whole time. Got... I mean I did post stuff but it was just a repeat of all the same stuff mm-hmm. because we beat our goal like two in weeks like in two weeks. Yeah. yeah. So yeah just to say that there is still conflict and i think that that is good i think it'd be kind of weird if we all just like jumped on board immediately and we're like it would be weird yeah Mm because like i've been around people who have been gracious with me in my journey with this stuff so i'm happy to be gracious with other people too yeah yeah well said but i'm still encouraged by all this Mm -hmm. because again i was like super encouraged yeah we'll get there but like Mm -hmm. Because we were trying to think about, like, okay, what do we do if we don't get there? But we're really close. Can we get someone to commit to... I said that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was the one that was like, do you think we have anybody that could do, like, $2,000 in case we don't get there? And we went $12,000 over mm-hmm. our goal. Mm-hmm. Like, $32,000. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Tess. You're you, welcome. You it was really the social media plan. <laughs> and the finance group, too. Rebecca, yeah. who Rebecca did and Jen all and that. Chris yeah, all, just, all that mm-hmm. research. I think Jen had to do, do Jen had to do I think a lot of back work to make all the money like match right yeah. I think yeah. yeah so there's a lot of people doing lots of stuff it didn't yeah. just happen but no the the I mean yeah all I did was like held the money that came in the got footwork, to feel rich for the footwork days. the footwork that went into it though like mm-hmm. wow yeah I had no part in that and yeah I'm so glad <laughs> I'm so glad for what you all did I think one more thing I'm thinking about in like the ruffling of feathers that did come up is that like I think we've seen over the last year in America this like um I've heard some people well one of my friends calls it the great white scramble but there was this like moment of reckoning that happened when everybody was slowed down because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. that like I think my theory has been that because white people in America in general were so faced with their humanity that they were able, that white folks were better able to see the humanity of black folks Mm -hmm. and our suffering in George Floyd. Like, I feel like we had this collective, um, yeah, reckoning with how fragile the world is and our humanity is, and we're not as in control. And I think that really opened up white people to see George Floyd 
as a person, as a black person and somebody that faced injustice. And I think that shaking up that happened in America last year, of course, would reflect in our American church. Mm. Um, And I think for some folks, um, they may be nervous about what we're calling Jesus following, right? Like, Mm. is anti-racism really Jesus following? It feels uncomfortable. Sometimes it feels too political. It feels impolite. But I really think to be the church, and like Danny talked about this last week, right? That like Mm -hmm. Jesus was doing things to restore people to to their community. Mm -hmm. Um, I think looking at it from that angle is important, right? Like Mm -hmm. how can you really be in loving, restorative community with your brothers, with Mm -hmm. your siblings in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And looking at your wealth, looking at all of the racial harm that America caused, you cannot be in community with BIPOC folks, with your black siblings without thinking of it that way, Mm -hmm. right? So like this is Jesus following, even if your context is this white American context that tells you that like things have to be polite all the time or like, yeah, it makes sense. You're a white guy. You should be talking first. You know a lot, buddy. This whole world has been created for white folks. And when we say you need to rethink things, it's so confusing for them that I think it doesn't feel like Jesus following. Mm. Right. Did that soliloquy make sense? Yeah. I don't feel like you felt like it made sense. No, I'm trying to. I, I think it made sense. I'm digesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a um, lot. <laughs> I, I definitely... I, it definitely makes sense, and I think it connects to what Tess was saying earlier in the sense that um, people in this country have been taught that America is a meritocracy, but what does it mean when you peel back all the layers of that, where mm-hmm. you really learn that that's not true in any sense of the word? Mm-hmm. That not only do you not deserve what you have, mm-hmm. but you have it because we live in a kleptocracy, mm-hmm. because the wealth was stolen. Mm-hmm. The labor was stolen. The wealth was stolen. The land was stolen. Everything was stolen from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're faced with the magnitude of that injustice. Uh, and it really, and it, it that can really shake you up. Mm-hmm. I think what, you know, when Jesus talks about how he didn't come to sow to give peace on earth, but to turn family members against each other. Mm-hmm. He's going to upends the world so that the first are going to be last and the last will be first. Um, I don't think people are are always prepared to realize that like the radical love that Jesus expresses, what it actually means to love your neighbor and love God actually requires sacrifice, mm-hmm. actually requires you to give up everything, mm-hmm. including your own conceptions about what it means to be a good person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the myth of goodness mm-hmm. sets a lot of folks back in their in their quest for anti-racism. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I completely agree that, like, not everyone's prepared to accept those truths. And, like, coming face-to-face with that injustice, that can be, there can be a violent reaction to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's hard work. Mm-hmm, for sure. I think we always have to, I don't know. I'm such, I'm, I keep on thinking of you guys talking about me not having pretense like that because I was homeschooled (laughs) so like what I want to say I recognize is super fluffy but I'm like we just all need to remember that like 
Jesus loves us. God loves us. Yeah. And we love each other because of that love. Yeah. So this work, even when it's tough, is done in love. Like, mm-hmm. my, I had my niece on Saturday and this little fucking four-year-old headbutted me and then started <laughs> laughing. <laughs> and it hurt because yeah. she's four. So she has a little, like, skull now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she started laughing and I was like, no, like, you really hurt me. And you mm-hmm. love me, don't you? You don't want to hurt me because you love me. Like, mm-hmm. don't do that, right? Like, that's what we're doing in anti-racism yeah, right. work is like, I know that you love me, you know, white person. Mm-hmm. We're in community with each other and you don't want to hurt me, right? So let me tell you how to love me. Let me talk about what it looks like to love me and know that I love you too. Yeah. And I want to keep being able to love you and I want to be loved back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Are we okay leaving it there? I think so. Yeah. Cool. So the last thing that we like to do is talk about whatever we're into this week. Beth, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So I am super into Isabel Wilkerson's book, The Warmth of Other Suns. I think it's been out for um, several years now, Um, but it talks about the second great migration in America where black folks left the South and moved to Northern cities. And like you were saying earlier, Tess, that like when you look at Philadelphia in 1936, it makes Philadelphia in 2021 make a lot of sense. Um, I feel that way about thinking of the second migration and how um, America's racism is so sinister. It just takes like a different form. So like black folks leave the South. White people are like, why do y'all, why do y'all want to leave? We're just lynching you. And they go to the (laughs) North. And then that's when you, so the second great migration ends in like 1970, they say. Mm -hmm. And from like 1975 and on is when you see mass incarceration go Mm -hmm. up, Mm -hmm. right? So I have been finding that book really interesting because it really explains um, the context that we're in now. Yeah. Interesting. So I highly suggest The Warmth of Other Suns. And one of the sons. first books that really radicalized me was um, Richard Wright's Black Boy. And I think that that title comes from Richard Wright's Black Boy or Native Son. But it is a, it's a quote from Richard Wright. Hmm. That's a lot to follow up. <laughs> I um... I feel like I said a lot in this episode. Sorry, Yeah, guys. no. It's great. <laughs> um, so one of our friends, who's an organizer with the Bail Fund, wrote a book, Elias Rodriguez. Yes, um, my friend Elias. Yeah, and I read it. I'm actually, I'm actually reading it because I'm reading really slowly right now. Um, his book is called, I can't even keep things in my head. All the Water I've Seen is Running. That's right. That's right. It's uh, The way I was thinking about it is like it's a summer read, but like with... Um, with real implications for like an English class. Like mm-hmm. there's there's amazing themes in here about belonging, um, about looking for home. Um, mm-hmm. There's things in here about sexuality and race um, that all kind of that all kind of like center on that question of like where do I belong mm-hmm. um, if I don't. If I'm from so many places and I don't feel like I belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it raises a lot of really good conversational questions. And I hope there's more in him. I, I want to read something else by him after He's, this. Yeah. Elias is a great person, too. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I saw him at a local brewery 
Um, and I immediately started screaming, it's my favorite author! And Elias hates attention. <laughs> so he was pretty pissed, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, Elias, keep writing, please. Cool. Tess, what are you into? Um, so I'm into a book as well. It's by J. Allen Cross, and it's called American Burujeria. Um, and it's about Mexican-American like folk religion. Mm. And... I just feel very seen by this book. Nice. And it's, I'm going to use this word loosely, but it's about witchcraft. But it's about how historically Mexican-Americans have combined their Catholicism and Christianity with indigenous practices. Of course. And mm-hmm. I think I've texted you about, about this before, Beth, but I very much like do a lot of like candle practices and I like light certain candles for certain things. And But even just... Before reading this book, I'm like, I do this real weird. Like, I pick a candle because it's very, like, indigenous-based or, like, I drink certain teas because it's, like, I don't know, that's what my grandma would tell me to do if I needed it. Mm. But then also, I, like, will ask for, like, my grandmother. Well, one of my gra- my great-grandmothers was a curandera, which is, like, a mm-hmm. healer. And my other grandma was a bruja. So, like, that's more like... A witch. More like a witch. Yeah. <laughs> and... What? That's crazy. You, you come that? from a line of witches? Yeah. Like, actual. The problem is that, like, they didn't actually, like, teach it to uh-huh. me. So, like, my my uh, connection with it will never be that strong or the same. Uh-huh. But still trying to, like, connect them in some way. So, when I light candles, I, like, ask them to be with me. But I also ask Jesus to be with whatever I'm oh, praying that's for. And then I when I, after, when I light the candle, I say, Lord, hear our prayer. So, like, it's very, mm-hmm. um, feels mm. very mixed of me, I guess. Uh, and yeah. so I've just been really enjoying kind of this author's framing of all of that and just his understanding of like, yeah, that's that's OK. And that's actually why that feels so good to me is because that's what my ancestors have been doing for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just find a lot of comfort in that sort of thing. I haven't finished the book, so maybe it's not very good. But so far, I'm really liking it. And it's teaching me a lot. And even just a big thing he talks about is just like listening to your ancestors like if this book tells you to do something and it doesn't feel good when you do it then don't do it that way like and he talks a lot about jesus like what's jesus telling you to do right what is uh the virgin of guadalupe telling you to do um what's god telling you to do what's the holy spirit telling you to do and just being really cognizant of those things too and Mm. that your ancestors have power in that and they'll they'll help you figure it out so i've been really Mm. into that book Mm -hmm. that's so interesting i think that's um in non-Western cultures, just like medicinal folk practices and f- faith practices, they're all just kind of there's they're just they're just practices. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's not this big distinction between like what is faith, what is science, what is religion, what is superstition. Mm-hmm. Like there aren't all these discrete categories. Mm-hmm. So it's all kind of is in there as like this is a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Just saying, before anybody comes at color correction for promoting witchcraft, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, even white people have, like, the have particular practices. Just the Involving fact that, mayonnaise, in, I think. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, the fact that they're Western means that means that they don't feel uh, witchy to white people just because, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, not just, like, rosaries or candles, you know, because some Protestants are, like, not about Catholic stuff. But even, like... I don't know. Several of our favorite holidays are adjacent to the pagan rituals that they came out of. Beyond that, like, do you do you close your eyes when you pray? Do you lift up your hands? Like, 
do you listen for the Holy Spirit? Like, do you go to a quiet place? Uh, like, you're you are using stuff to connect. Oh, that's interesting. To, yeah, right. Like spiritual things. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not using a candle, but maybe you maybe it'd be easier for you if you had something to like. Well, sometimes we to do smell or you look like at candles it. Candles a lot yeah. at Circle of yeah. Hope. So mm-hmm. just I mean, at Circle we do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. Um, the thing I'm Tess specifically said that the things I'm into seem like ads, <laughs> so I'm not going to name the brand, but. Uh, I was in Arizona uh, a few weeks ago visiting my in-laws, and I bought a pair of cowboy boots. Woo! <laughs> you can say the brand. I'm not saying the brand. Well, I... I'm going to have you send me a picture of your cowboy boots, sure. so yeah. it's okay. This will be less of an advertisement. We should have both worn our cowboy boots, Andrew. That would have been great. Um, I'm a big fan of cowboy boots. Um, I had no idea you would call yourself a big fan of cowboy I, well, boots. Well, I am now. I was in Arizona with nothing. <laughs> I, was, I was in Arizona with nothing else to do, so I was like, you know what? I could buy cowboy boots. <laughs> so, I was like, I need, I need some boots. I need. I like. I'm, I'm looking in the market for new shoes. Why not cowboy boots? So I like went to three different stores looking for cowboy boots and just learned a ton about cowboy boots. And I got a pair of like of leather ropers that. Like go up pretty high, but they're covered by your pant legs, so nobody knows that they're cowboy boots except you, and it feels like you have a cool secret. (laughs) (laughs) I love this for you, Andrew. (laughs) I know. I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, Is it on your Instagram? It has been. It has been my favorite thing about Andrew for the last couple of weeks since I found out. Okay. Um, uh, Special thanks to Luke Bartolomeo for managing our website, and also to Joe Mahoney, our audio engineer. Uh, Jared Selby does our theme song and Tess Pitino who's sitting right in front of me (laughs) uh, is our social media goddess and once again y'all we're always interested in how you're combining your anti-racism with your faith in Jesus following so hit us up on the podcast website colorcorrectionpodcast.com and drop us a line and let us know what you think about the podcast and you think about your faith in Jesus so stay black little mermaid Mm -hmm.